Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 92 of Radiance, my original Fallout fan fiction. As always, I do hope that you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can, and you can leave feedback either via fanfiction.net, archiveofverone.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. All comments are always welcome and always appreciated. Let's me know that you're enjoying what I'm doing. And just let you guys know, this is going to be the last normal... Um, one for before Christmas now, because next week I'm going to be doing a Christmas chapter of Radiance, which I will record as a podcast as well, just so you guys know. I'm not sure what date it's going to be out, but next week then there'll be no Hybrid Wars or Storm Rider, because I'm just going to focus on just doing the chapter for Radiance, because it'll probably be a bit longer than normal. So I just want to get that done, and then take a couple of days off then for Christmas and everything. I think I've earned that considering the workload I've put out this year. So I'm definitely going to be taking a little bit of time to kick back and chill a little bit. So that'll take care of itself. So if you fancy for, uh, heading over to ghostnobody.com anytime soon and checking out Storm Rider, you never know what you might find. You might enjoy it, given that it's full of sexy dragonesses, orcs, elves, wars, magic, you name it, it's got a bit of everything. And while you're there, you can also check out the Ghostly Link section. Pick yourself up a copy of Mortis, my original novel. Now, actually on sale for 50% off, but only on Smashwords. On Amazon, it's still standard price, because for some reason they're not doing a Christmas sale. But... Uh, Smashwords is doing a Christmas sale, so if you do fancy picking up a copy, it's half price, 50% off, but only get it at Smashwords, that way then you get the discounted price. So, with all that out of the way, let's get on with the show, shall we? Now, but first the usual legal disclaimer, I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it, that's all Bethesda, they can keep the bugs, glitches and everything else, I'll keep the crazy tales, and I'll ask him once again, where the hell is Starfield? Let's get on with the show. Chapter 92 Be My Valentine Gregory watched his footing carefully as he moved silently through the entry tunnel and into the narrow passages beyond. Both Wisp's directions and Fuller's instructions were ringing in his ears as he moved. He was running through the plan in his mind as he neared the place that Wisp had reported that the hostages were being held. So far he hadn't seen a civil, single living soul since he'd entered and it was eerily quiet. Well, that was right up until he reached the holding area. That's when he began to hear what sounded like a mixture of sobbing and pure grief. A large submarine-style hatch door slid slightly ajar, offering him just enough gap to be able to slip through and into the room beyond, which after poking his head through the gap and into the room beyond, he took a look around and then slowly moved through. Inside the room, there were the six guards, that, just as Wisp had reported. They were all dressed in the same robe-style arrangements that the two they'd taken down on the surface had been wearing. The room was filled with lockers, obviously meant for personal effects for the bunks in the room beyond this one. And it reminded him of the room he'd often seen in schools and old sports halls, with a large storage locker that stood in neat rows up against the walls. In the middle of the room was a large table with six guards all sat around a circular table playing a card game that kind of looked like poker. They appeared to be betting with what looked like to be small bones. That made Gregory think of finger bones, which instantly made his stomach churn. 
His movements were going to have to be swift and precise to make this work. Even if he missed one, a shitstorm of epic proportions was going to erupt in this very small room. And given that they all seemed to have automatic weapons in the form of a few surprisingly well-maintained 8K-47s, it would go south very quickly. Gregory slowly withdrew the six darts he'd made on the surface. It seemed that Fuller was well versed in fieldcraft as he'd knocked these things up in a matter of minutes with a knife and a practised hand, turning some strong sticks he'd found into a series of small, incredibly sharp darts that Malachi had then laced with a very generous dose of his venom to soak into the wood. The result was six very sharp knockout darts. They had debated making him a makeshift blowgun to deliver the sharp little darts to their targets, but Fuller had put that idea down pretty swiftly, given as he pointed out that not only did they have limited shots and time to pull this off, there was no guarantee on accuracy. There would be time wasted on reloading, as well as he'd have to remove his mask to actually put the thing to his lips to blow, therefore compromising his cloak and giving them a target to shoot at. It was far easier just to stab them with it. At least the hit was guaranteed. Holding the little sleep sticks, as, as Whispered started calling them, in his left hand, he moved slowly and silently up onto the group, plotting his movements carefully as he did. Suddenly he noticed a sparkle from the vent on the cover above his head, and for a moment he froze before realising it was Wisp, keeping an eye on the room. He blew out a sigh of relief. At least he'd have a form of distraction slash backup if things went sideways. Treading carefully, he approached the closest figure, who by their slight stature was obviously a female. With a quick movement, he struck, sticking the dark into her back between her shoulder blades, where it would be almost impossible for her to reach. Thankfully, this toxin-soaked stick dart pierced clean through the robe and into her flesh underneath, and she yelped as she felt it. Gregory moved rapidly to her left, her arms whirling around behind her, trying to grab at the space where the dart was stuck. "'What's wrong, sister?' one of the others said in alarm at her actions. "'Something just stung me!' she exclaimed, and suddenly the guy to her left did the same thing. "'Ah! Something just stung me too!' he yelped, doing the same as her. Gregory was moving faster now, which caused his cloak to shimmer slightly at the rapid movements but he was so focused on what he was doing he didn't even notice it as he plunged the third dart into its target, then the fourth, the fifth, and finally the sixth. Though this fifth and sixth were far more alert than he would have hoped. Before he could have reached them, they shoved away from the table, bringing up their weapons to bear as they scanned for an invisible assailant. But this is where Fuller's words rang true, for he'd foreseen this exact reaction and he told Gregory what to do if such a thing did indeed occur. So following that movement, the fuller had made him learn to the letter. He flicked the dart in his left hand around, so it was like the one in his right, and in one swift stabbing motion, he lunged forward and stabbed both of them simultaneously in the side of the neck, before ducking and rolling as they swung around to face one another, raising their weapons at one another as they did. Fortunately, Malachi's venom, combined with their rapidly beating hearts, thanked to the panic, worked faster than their trigger fingers did, and just like their four friends who were already succumbed to it, they slumped down to the floor face first. Gregory turned and stood looking around, with his heart bang against his ribs as he looked at the scene around him. Holy shit, it worked! I did it! 
he exclaimed quietly to himself. As he looked up at the vent, the glittering shape was gone, indicating that Wisp had returned to the surface, a fact that was backed up only moments later when the clatter of footsteps and claws on concrete came towards the door, before the team entered with their weapons and claws at the ready. Nice work, Gregory. I should keep the fuckers quiet for a bit, Fuller said, quickly checking all six of them before disarming them and handing the weapons to the team. Thanks, but you were right. The last two did exactly what you said they would. You were spot on and probably saved my ass with that little trick you taught me. So thanks for that, he said, deactivating his cloak, only to be instantly embraced by Ven, who was obviously trying to hide his worry for his man. Experience is only good if you've learned from it. I went all in with you guys and I, when I joined you, and if you get killed, I'm fucked. So if I can help you guys survive that, that's what I'm going to do. Got to use all these years of training and experience now somehow, don't I? Fuller said, retrieving what was blatantly a large set of keys from one of the fallen cultists and standing up, jangling them. You better go first, Fuller, as ironically the least likely to scare the shit out of those poor boys, Wisp said, gesturing to the keys in his hand, and the ex-ESF soldier nodded and turned towards the door. Brace for a response, he said, and he plunged the key into the door lock and turned it with a heavy-sounding thunk as the deadbolt moved out of the way. From behind the door, they heard the moans of grief and whimpers of fear intensifying. Fuller pulled the door open and moved with fluid grace as he entered the room, bringing up his weapon and scanning it as he did. Clear, he said, but his voice sounded gruff and severely angry. The other piled into the room behind him and instantly Gregory saw why. There was a series of beds and fastened to them by long change. They were attached to horrid-looking metal collars of about twenty teenage boys of varying ages. They'd all obviously been badly beaten and covered in cuts and bruises. They all shrank from the team that entered and tried their best to hide themselves behind the bunk beds, which was all they seemed to be allowed to have in this miserable waiting room of death. Gregory's anger cranked all the way up so far that Eleven was a distant fucking memory as flashbacks of his own time as a slave burst into his brain like a series of flashbang grenades going off inside his skull. He stepped quickly to the closest of the boys and he shrank as far as he could into the corner behind his bunk trying his best to hide himself from the strange invader. It's alright. We're not going to hurt you. We're here to get you out. He said in as soft a voice as he could manage, given the anger burning in his chest like a sun. I'm going to tear the, the ones that did this limb from fucking limb. I will show them no mercy from this point on. There will be no more sleeping darts, Fuller. Death is coming for these villains, and it has fucking claws. Ven said in a voice so cold and furious that Gregory swore he could see plumes of ice breath exiting his beloved male's nostrils as he spoke. Agreed, my big scaly friend. I've seen slave pits before that this is a whole new fucking low. These fuckers have a fucking reckoning coming. Fuller snarled, looking around the terrified teens. Then you and I are in agreement, Ven said, stepping up to one of the beds where a teen cowered from him. He reached down gently, took hold of the chain, securing him to the bed, and with a snarl that would have chilled the blood of any who didn't know him, snapped it like it was made of paper. You are free, young one, and will remain so while I still draw breath. Do not fear me, 
for only those that hurt the innocent need fear a righteous claw. These claws of mine, they dish out vengeance and justice, not beatings of misery, he said softly as his fingers worked up the chain until he took hold of the collar. The terrified teen tried to move, but he snapped it off him, just like the chain. The dark-skinned teen stood there for a moment in absolute shock and awe at the broken chain and collar that clanked to the floor before him, and then looked up at the massive claw mail before him. You, you freed me, he exclaimed and then nodded. We're here to rescue you, young one. We mean you no harm, and I know I can look fearful to you, but I assure you you are no, in, no danger from me or any of my beloved friends here. We will protect you. Fenn said softly, and as if to prove his point, Malachi scuttled past him, taking Passer with him, and between them they began breaking chains left, right and centre. That's a death claw, but I never knew that they could talk, one of the boys said, and Venn turned to face him. Not all of us can, but those hailed from the northern, proud northern pack like myself and my winged cousin there, we all can he said, indicating Passer, who waved in greeting before snapping a chain like it was a string. Don't you worry, boys, we'll get you out of here in no time. Shepherd, you and Passer take them up top and keep them guarded. We're going to have to go and have a little talk with the proprietors of this particular establishment. And by talk, I mean we're going to shoot and claw the living shit out of them, Wisp said, slamming her fist into her open palm. I like this plan, Vecton said, flexing his claws menacingly. You can count on us, boss. Me and Loverclaw here will keep them out of harm's way until you get back. And try not to forget about finding Valentine while you're having fun with these assholes, yeah? Shepard said, as she and Passer broke the last of the chains and beckoned the boys to follow him. Which they all did, surprisingly willingly. Well, despite your husband's insistence on no more sleep darts, I made this and these for you while we were up there waiting. Only got the chance to test it lightly, so I don't know how long it'll last, but it seems strong enough, and accurate enough for short-range stuff at least. Malachi said, holding, handing a jar of darts to Gregory, along with what appeared to be an odd kind of pistol-style crossbow, that appeared to be made from a curved piece of metal that he'd secured to a jig body, on top of what looked like a glove. Um, thanks, but how do I use it? It's got no grip. Gregory said, turning it over in his expert hands. Oh, that's because it's wrist-mounted. I noticed that one of these fuckwits we took down up there had a weird glove on. It looked like three pieces of rebar fixed onto a ram. So I pulled the rebar off, and I realised I could mount this in its place. You fire it by squeezing the same bar that he used to make a block with the rebar on it shoot forward. And hey presto, wrist-mounted crossbow, made ready to fire can fire sleep darts, or even something stronger if need be, Malachi said, smiling as Gregory slipped on the glove over his own and tested the mechanism, which to his delight worked very well. The metal limbs seemed to have a very tightly wound series of Malachi's silken threads pulling it taut, and he could already feel the elastic power of the thing had when it fired. This little thing was going to come in rather handy at firing the darts over a distance, and he also noticed that the darts now seemed to have a feather ruff mounted to them, which to act like a sort of flight, with some sticky silk to hold it in place. Looked like Passer had got in on the act as well. Well, either that or they'd taken out a rad crow and plucked the poor little fucker. 
If you must use bloody sleep darts on the undeserving fucks, make sure you shoot them in the eyes or the balls, my love. Van growled, looking at the contraption mounted to his husband's hand curiously. Oh, you can count on that, Loverclaw. After what I've seen in here, it's dick kebab all the way from here on out. He said, fastening the crossbow's little straps and checking whether his cloaking device would actually hide it properly. And to his delight, the cloaking field did indeed seem strong enough to do so. Though it caused merry hell with it when it fired, causing the whole thing to flicker like a power surge went through it as it tried to adjust to the rapid movement. Well, all right, people. Let's move like we've got a purpose. We've got cultist arseholes to fuck up. Wisp said, and with that the team headed off, with Gregory now on point once again, hidden from view by his cloaking field. As the team proceeded deeper into the bunker, they began to hear voices echoing up from ahead from the depths. Malachi was on point, held up a fist to stop them, and curiously his spinnerets went up as well, as if acting like a second hand. Got a group of them not far ahead, maybe twenty metres he said, bristling his fur all over his body in little waves. And it was only then that Gregory realised he was using his fur to measure the changes in air pressure. He was essentially using it like some form of passive sonar that detected movement not by sound waves, but by the subtle changes in air pressure caused by movement. He really did have more tricks up his sleeve than he could really count this spider-boy. The group moved slowly forwards until they reached a very large doorway, into what appeared to be a large room of what seemed to have been a mess hall of some kind, but now appeared to have been converted into an altar room. Gregory, you're up. I'll join you. Let's see what the score is, shall we? Wisp said, and he appeared. she appeared long enough to give her a thumbs up before the pair moved into the room, her in her cloud form and him running invisible. At the centre of the room, a large altar had been erected on a platform to raise it up to be in clear view of anyone inside the room. Gregory could already see two things that set his teeth on edge. One was that the altar was covered in bloodstains. Some were brown from age and others looked pretty damn fresh. But it was the second thing that saw that filled his heart with far more dread. Because right there atop of the white marble altar was a struggling teenage boy who had been secured down by heavy chains and manacles. Stood around the altar were a group of about thirty people, all wearing the same hooded robes that the guys had already taken down. Well, all except for one who stood right at the front of the altar, and by the grandiose nature of his bright purple and gold robes, as well as the large ceremonial dagger he was holding, looked like they found King of the Dickheads. Here are please, Dark Ones, we bring another youth before you in the hope that their lifeblood will grant us favour to us. Grant us the power to vanquish our enemies. Let their blood fuel our immortality as it once fuelled yours. Let us become one with you and you with us and remake us in your image. Hear us, dark ones. This is our pledge and our sacrifice to you, he yelled in a deep-sounding, resonating voice as he raised his dagger with the intent to strike the boy in the heart. Gregory's mind went into slow motion as the realisation they were going to sacrifice him there and then kicked in. He began to fumble as he tried to load and cock the crossbow. It was the only thing he had to hand right now, given his rifle was on his backpack. But it seemed he wasn't the only one with the intent of stopping this. 
Out of nowhere, a sticky white orb flew through the air, and with pinpoint accuracy it slammed into the man's raised wrists, anchoring them to a large decorated stone slab directly behind him. Well, it wasn't that that sent a wave of fear through the room. It was the bellowing roar that followed with it. Both then passer entered the fray, and the pair were not in a merciful mood. "'You want fucking blood, human? I'll give you fucking blood!' Ven bellowed, charging right across the room in only a few massive strides. His massive thighs bunched like steel cables as he compressed them and leapt clear over the heads of the turning cultists, all of which were pulling up some very mismatched collection of weapons in an attempt to fend off the two angry claws, but they were much too late to save their leader. With a single swipe of his razor-sharp claws, given the power of the momentum of his leap, Ven took the cultist's leader's arms both off at the elbows, just above his head, causing the men to slump down onto his knees, issuing a blood-curdling scream as fountains of crimson shot out in both directions. The large claw turned and looked at his coldly standing, fully erect now, so that Gregory couldn't help but admire this man's incredible musculature from the rear, clearly visible even through his Malachi armour. Never again will those hands take the life of an innocent, vile one. Now feel their pain as your life drains from you, and watch in impotent fear as we avenge all those that fell by those hands. And oh, just in case you get any funny ideas about running, he said before with a mighty downward kick. He broke both man's legs at the knees, causing them to fall backwards on themselves due to the weight and force he used. As it turned out, not one of the cultists even attempted to save their leader. They were all too far busy with the incredibly angry and highly agile claw who was right in their midst, whirling like a blade, using both his tail, wings and claws to incredible effect. He was like a spinning top of death, knocking people off balance with both his tail and his wings before finishing them with a series of slashes or rapid stabs from his wicked claws. Hell, even stabbed two of them through the gut and used them as fucking human shields to absorb some of the incoming fire from the survivors. In mere seconds, Passer had completely annihilated the entire group on his lonesome, with Ven having only taken out the leader and two of the cultists that were so preoccupied by his cousin, they pretty much ran smack into him without looking, only to be decapitated by two single swipes of his massive claws, looking like he wasn't even bothered. Panting heavily and soaked in blood from their enemies from head to foot, Passer turned left and right before bellowing a roar at the fallen cultists. "'Never again will you harm another innocent!' he roared at their still twitching bodies. They were littering the floor around him. Shepard walked up to him and slowly and warily, and when she gently touched him he snapped around and raised his clawed hand to strike, causing her to flinch but not to move to protect herself showing her trust in him as he froze up and then eased down looking rather ashamed. Easy there, big guy. It's over. You did good. Damn fucking good. I'm proud of you, she said, slowly taking his blood-soaked hands in hers and gently leading the large claw over to the side of the room to calm him down. Malachi was the first to reach the theatre and the altar. Without even pausing, he snapped the chain holding the boy down off the altar clear off. Easy now, we're not going to hurt you, he said softly as the frightened teen nearly uprighted and bolted, 
Tilly caught hold of him and held him tightly by the arms in the air, leaving his feet kicking and his head moving wildly as he eyed the room, trying to search for a way out. Who are you? What are you? The teen howled Malachi simply gave him a warm, calming smile as he turned him to face him. My name's Malachi. I'm an Arachnakai. This here is Ven, and that's Passa. They're my friends, and we came to help you, as we did all of them. He said, turning to the boy so he could see the humans and others in the group as they all moved in to check the bodies. The dark gods will punish you for this. Your blood will fill the cups of the faithful. You will... The leader began screaming until Ven leaned down and with a deft lick of two fingers snipped his tongue out of his head like a pair of giant super sharp scissors, leaving him screaming and spitting blood. Suffer in silence, vile one. Keep the bile in your head where it belongs, Ven said coldly. Well, it seemed that the waste never failed to surprise. Never thought I'd see a talking death claw, let alone two of them. I definitely never thought I'd see them defending humans, that's for sure, a deep, throaty voice said from the left side of the room. And as one, they all turned. And there, standing in a small welded cage, was a synthetic man, dressed in a long trench coat and wearing a fedora hat. Nicholas Valentine, I presume, Wisp asked, and the man with glowing golden eyes snapped onto her. Now, this is more interesting. You know my name, which means you were most likely here looking for me, he said. Wisp nodded her affirmation. Very perceptive. I can see why you became a detective, because it seems rescue work doesn't seem to really agree with you, she said, slightly sarcastically gesturing to the cage you were stuck of, stuck inside of. No arguments here. Know my way around a gun, but the minds of the criminally insane never fail to take you by surprise he said, gesturing to the stuttering, stuttering and blatantly dying cult leader, who was gray, growing paler and grey by the moment as he slowly bled out. So what's this fuckwit's deal anyway? Wisp asked as she stepped up to the cage and looked at the lock for gesturing for Ven to come over and help her with the big claw wandering over and looking at it, and then with ease of the mighty simply snapping the cage door right off its hinges making Gregory pant a little as once again he showed off his incredible strength for him. Oh, that big boy was getting some all the love his big beautiful heart could handle tonight. Nick stepped forward and out of the cage, stretching himself like he was flexing actual organic muscles, not polymer-coated servos. Must have been programmed behaviour, and given the holes in his musculature, he was blatantly as much an older model and Wisp's body was, that was for sure. Much obliged there, big fella. You got a name? Nick said, looking up at Ven as he dropped a large metal door on the floor. Ven, of the proud northern pack, but you can just simply call me Ven, he said. Well, it's good to meet you, Ven. So, if I may ask, who sent you after me, and why? Nick asked. Your assistant put us on your trail. We're looking for some information on synths, and more specifically, on the Institute, Wisp said. Uh, you and everyone else, I'll tell you what I know about them. Despite obviously being my synth myself, I don't exactly have a prethora of intel on them, surprisingly. But given the breakout here and what I just saw you do there, I think you've earned that much at the very least, he said. 
Glad to hear that our efforts are appreciated, Ven said. Oh, trust me, they very much are. How many did you free, if you'll indulge me? He asked Jester into the boy that Malachi was still gently trying to calm and soothe, though he wasn't carrying him around any more, and had him stood at his side. Looked to be measuring him to outfit him with clothing, which, knowing him, he'd probably have made before they were done by the conversation. About thirty or so, Wisp said, and Nick sighed heavily while nodding. When they first caught me, they were at least double that. These fuckers believed that that vampire shit from the old media was actually real. When you throw in a rather unhealthy mind and a fuckton of charisma, you have yourself a bloody cult. They were sacrificing these poor souls and drinking their blood because they believed it would morph them into vampires and make them immortal in some kind of blood pact with old gods, Valentine explained. Fuck me, why does this shit really bring out the fucking crazies? And how come it always seems to be them that always seem to be the ones that survive? Wisp said. It does always seem to be the way of things, doesn't it? Well, let's get back up top and find out where all these young men come from, so we can start working on them returning them home, Valentine said, gesturing to the young man stood with Malachi, who seemed to have now developed a brand new pair of silken pants. Back on the surface, the group met up with their, some of their friends and the group of prisoners, who were thankfully not as stripped bare as the young man from the sacrificial chamber. They were all gathered around the, the group, waiting out now to find their fate. All right, gentlemen, we're going to be taking you back to Diamond City with us. If anyone lives in a settlement that's on the way, please let us know and we'll deliver you there on the way back. But not worry, once we make it back there we'll figure out a way to get you all home. Valentine said, much to a chatter of joy from them all. A couple of them stepped forward to let him know that they did indeed live close enough to be dropped off on the way, including the group from Greentop, which certainly made their lives easier. As they walked and talked, Malachi worked. He was moving among the group and rapidly winning hearts and minds by patching clothes and replacing them, to keep the survivors warm on the trip. In fact, the young man who had not long ago been strapped to an altar, was now outfitted with a full new suit, made from a mixture of silk and hardened cloth. It seemed that Malachi scavenged materials wherever they went. He was like a one-spider clothing factory on legs. He dropped off a few of the teens as they went, returning them back into the arms of their overjoyed families, who thought they'd lost their beloved sons forever. This included green tops. Both Valentine and the group were thanked most profusely by their people for their efforts in returning their wayward sons to them. In fact, the people there insisted on feeding the entire group before allowing them on their way. Though they did get quite a shock when feeding both the claws and seeing how much they could actually eat. Though Ben and Passer had the good manners to wait for their human friends to go first before absolutely demolishing the remainder of the roasted radstag carcasses between them. But eventually they were back underway, and now with a renewed vigour thanks to their full bellies. As Valentine walked, he filled them in on the details that he did have about the Institute, and to be fair, it had been truthful when he'd said he barely had anything. But what they did learn was they used operators to infiltrate settlements in order to control them, and they also used some human contractors from time to time to do a variety of wet work, kind of like mercenaries. 
makes sense that they'd feel out the work to others like the Merc groups, given the sense of detachment and form of plausible deniability that affords them. Fuller said thoughtfully as they moved towards the city which loomed up now on the horizon after a hell of a lot of walking. Indeed, this was my thought as well. I got abandoned by them myself, pretty much woke up in a ditch with no memories of who I truly was and a head filled with memories that weren't my own. So piecing this together has been a bit of a chore, Nick said. What do you mean? Wisp asked. Well, Nicholas Valentine was a real-life person once, not a synth. He was a cop from before the war, though how the Institute got hold of his memories is still a bit of a mystery to me, really. But it did help me with a bit of help from a friend to bring an old pre-war gangster who ghoulified himself to justice that Nick was tracking down before all of this. He also kind of kitted me out with a set of skills to which aimed towards being a detective. That's what I did. And while the people of Diamond City kind of just treated me as a curiosity and an outsider at first, given that I was unmistakably a synth, they somehow didn't see me as a threat. But when I started helping people, they kind of just slowly accepted me. And now, here I am. He said, Wow, and given that we, what we've seen, that kind of makes sense. This body is a synthetic woman that I found in an enclave bunker. Looks like they'd either been killed or was brain dead when they found her. And well, I was in need of a new body, and given my own being dead and me being sick of inhabiting robots, well, here we are, Wisp said, and Valentine looked at her curiously to see her pour out of the ears and nose and the body lock up, for she swirled around them and then flew back into the head and then reactivated the body. Well, well, that's a new one. A sentient cl- talking cloud girl. Talking claws. A half-spider centaur-like guy. You guys really do have the market cornered on uniqueness now, don't you? He said, and Shepard laughed out loud. Oh, you ain't seen anything yet, Nick. Our group's about three times as large as this. And we got a little bit of everything for everyone. Friendly gendered super mutants, aliens, ghouls aren't who aren't complete arseholes, at times, sentient night stalkers, and a leader who's possibly quite the most powerful human being, or possibly the most powerful being on the planet, she said, and Valentine looked at them all in amazement. Wow, you sound like a walking advert for possibly the best merc company that ever existed, he said, and now Wisp laughed. Yeah, well, we kind of do wind up acting like mercs from time to time. And we are just trying to make the world a better place for everyone, regardless of who they are. We started out as just people fleeing the Enclave, as to not be used as living weapons. But that kind of grew. And as we gained more people, now more or less of a group and more of a movement. But this time, it's one that's good. We aim to show people of the world what it can be, if only take the chance on being different, Wisp said, pausing to grab the slightly distracted Malachi and pulled the sewing spider boy into a deep and very passionate kiss that left him looking breathless and flustered as she gently parted his flushed cheek. Okay, yeah, you guys definitely have the market cornered on different, he said, and once again Shepard laughed and turned and pulled the rather surprised-looking passer into a kiss as well while Gregory himself did exactly the same thing to Ven, not only surprising Valentine, but the rest of the remaining group of teens along with them. We're not ashamed to be different, 
and we aim to show people that not only who we are, but what we stand for too. We practice what we preach every single day, because for us, there's no other way to live, Gregory said, hugging Ven's long arm. Well, you certainly proved that point. All right, we're here. Let's get these boys inside and get them set up in the inn for the night. Or we sort out how to get them back to their homes. And don't worry about the cost. My free already covered that and then some, Valentine said, surprising them all. The guards greeted Valentine and they grew very warmly as they entered the city and headed towards the fens where the inn was located. And thanks to a standing booking that Valentine had already paid for and was holding for his return, the boys found themselves with a paid-for bed and a meal for the night. Before leaving them there, he and the team then headed back to his office. As he entered, his secretary actually ran towards him and hugged him joyfully. Oh, thank God, you brought him back in one piece, she exclaimed happily. We told you we would, and we're a group of our word, always, Wisp said, smiling. She smiled as she released her boss then, shyly but quickly headed to put some tea on for them. First thing we gotta do is sort out getting those boys back home. Not made of caps, you know, and can't afford to keep them there indefinitely. So if you guys can help me out there, I'd repay the favour by helping you out in your quest to find my former creators. Sound fair? Valentine said. And Wisp looked at the rest group and saw nods all round. Sounds good to me, Nick. Gives us a chance as well to show off more of what we can do. So, count us in, she said. Well, all right then. Let's get to work, shall we? We've got quite a list to go through, thankfully, he said. And with that, they sat down and began to work. Yes, that was chapter 92, ladies and gentlemen. But would they be able to get the boys back? And what will be in store for Nick and uh, the group next? Will they find the Institute? Or will the Institute find them? Only going to be one way to find out the answer to that question. And so many more. Going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.